0: Live from the 607 is the ODPH Entertainment Edition, where we're talking movies, comics, TV, and more. Why don't you join in the conversation? Hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to another edition of the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Mm -hmm. I'm your host, Ken M. Joining me in studio for this edition, it's the one and only Padawan J. Hello there. Folks, we have a lot to discuss in Atlanta entertainment, so we will waste little time getting there. Join in the conversation on our social media accounts. You can find them on OchoDuroParleyHour.com. And remember to use the hashtag, hashtag ODPH, when you're joining in, because we definitely want to interact with you. So let's waste no more time. The biggest entertainment story for us here yes. is been the Jonathan Hickman run mm-hmm. of the X-Men. The latest issue of Powers of X came out. Selling out on uh, comic shop stores everywhere these are becoming must grab items first day uh-huh. if you wait a day you might be so, you might be out of luck you might There's,
1: get you might get lucky and get
0: one or two issues left but no yeah a lot of times they're going to be gone and the story <laughs> is definitely delivering and i also want to give a quick shout out to three fed nerds because they were actually mentioned in our coverage on their last podcast so shout out to those guys we're glad that everybody's kind of digging our coverage of this because the story has been so complex yeah that we are breaking this down and we're just really deep diving into it we are talking spoilers so if you haven't read the issues You've been fair warned. I'll say this: this story's been so complex. It's as if you took,
1: you know, J.R. Tolkien's writing, George R.R. Martin's writing, blend them together, and
0: put it into one book. Absolutely. But it's been so well thought out. And you, you knew when Jonathan Hickman was coming back to Marvel Comics, yeah. And obviously, what the job he did with Avengers and Fantastic Four, and what it led to Secret Wars. I know that was the big bit payoff from Avengers, yeah. and my God, that series was so good uh-huh i'm hoping that becomes the next movie and that's what i'm thinking for the avengers return yeah when that finally happens yeah with the russo brothers tag throwing that karma out there let's make that happen but when he came back to the x-men franchise the buzz was huge and he has been delivering left and right
1: well and let's be honest i mean yes the x-men are one of marvel's longest running teams in their history they're one of fans favorites In in history, but in recent history, their popularity now, I'm not including I'm just talking strictly comics, not anything else. You know, their popularity in terms of the comics has been kind of dwindling as of late, at least up before Hickman came in, because it was like, you know, you'd have a you'd have a moment that would pop up and maybe get outside of the bubble of your your average comic fans and go, oh, my gosh, you know, you won't believe what they did in the latest X-Men comic. And then it kind of go away. And then you might have something else that didn't go away. But like nobody was really that into the X-Men comics. And I know even, I think it was like last year or two years ago, they tried kind of putting a shot in the arm with bringing back you know the gold team and the blue team and, and that kind of thing. But you know that didn't work. So well, let's
0: bring in the big guns. Well, when they were the biggest comic franchise in the 90s going into 2000s, yeah. and we're talking from... When Chris Claremont and Jim Lee set all-time sales records with X-Men 1 and the restart there going into Grant Morrison's run and what he did with the franchise and definitely the unique take he took. And then when the movies started taking off from Marvel Studios, the focus was more shifted towards the Avengers. Right. And obviously so when you're being the biggest things at the box office, you're going to draw in a different audience and definitely eyes are going to start turning a bit away. And right. the X-Men franchise wasn't doing so hot it really became a time period for the X-Men of, well, they're not the biggest book anymore. What can we do to really, you know, reinvigorate them and really charge them with some life. Right. And now that they're coming back to Marvel, the Inhumans experiment at Marvel, I think, <laughs> is safe to say that it's it's over with. I mean, there might be an in Inhumans book, but they're definitely not the X Men. And no. these are the characters that have resonated throughout cartoons and pop culture. Yeah, that now, when they're in the proper hands of a of a writer like Jonathan Hickman, they're going to go someplace. And this has arguably been the biggest books of the year thus far. I'd say so. Yeah. I mean, it's up there. I mean, with Tom uh, there, King's run of Batman. Right.
1: And, I mean, there's you know, there's been an, another good run with Marvel going with Absolute Carnage, but that's falling by the wayside just because Hickman is doing such a great job with X-Men.
0: Yeah, because this is connecting to older fans that were reading Claremont and Byrne way back when and the ones that grew up with Jim Lee artwork in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. And this is now to the point where everybody that has been really in love with the characters and grew up with them, whether it's the cartoon, the video games, yeah. the movies, this is where it's all paying off on in comics for us. I'm super excited to be reading oh, this God, every week. Yeah. This is like really reinvigorated me as a fan. Yeah, and that's why I love talking about this because they took the simple complex idea, and I say simple complex because it's a simple idea, mm-hmm. but then they really flipped it when they took a long-standing character like Moria McTaggart. Yeah, and made her into a mutant. Yeah, that can just re have a, it's basically groundhog day. Yeah. She relives her life yeah over and over and tries making changes and then when she dies she reincarnates herself back with all the memories yeah. which is such a simple idea but the complexity about it is it has restarted the entire timeline.
1: Right and it and it's something different too because it's not like they're ta- you know they could have done the easy out and taken a character like a Scott Summers or a Jean Grey you know a major character and done this but no they show something that Newer fans might not remember the name. They might have heard it, but just, yeah, it's one of those things. I you know I know the name, but I can't think of where they're from. And then you got the older fans who've read on and off or maybe everything that they've ever done and gone, oh, my God, they're doing what
0: with her? Right. This is just something that for me as a longtime reader, I was completely blown away. I'm like, wait, what? And yeah. just trying to do the complex breakdown of like, wait, wait. Then if this happens, then X happens, and then Y happens, and Z, and then just yeah. going through the timeline. And now this is almost started as a clean slate. Yeah. for anybody to jump on whether you're an older reader or newer reader and obviously the job they've been doing in the two books house of x has been focusing on the what we'll say this the ter- the current timeline yeah the 616 universe the, the latest timeline yes powers of 10 as it is officially called because they're talking about the different time periods right and year one year 10 year 100 and year one million? Uh, a thousand, I there think. A thousand? I th-
1: thousand, I think, because if you go based off of the X is 10 and then you just remember uh, high school math with power, you know, 10 to the whatever power you add on to that. The other thing of it, it is. Is 1,000. Yeah. So the thing you also, too, is with comics, you can't exactly pin down when it is because then you kind of write yourself into a corner with certain things but this is where they can get away with oh yeah it's a hundred years in the future it's a thousand years in the future it's a million years in the future they can get away with saying hey we're in the future but we're not gonna say when
0: yeah because the easiest way to break it down and I know I jumped ahead with a million because I'm just thinking how far they've gone with this that I feel that we're going to see the millionth year. That's possible. Could be. But as it breaks down, X times one is year one. Yep. X times 10 is year 10. Yep. X times 100 is year 100 and then 1000. So that's how they're breaking it down. That's why they're saying it's the powers of 10, the tenths of the years. So as going into this, we recap the where McTaggart's plan to tell Charles Xavier and Magneto about the future of the X-Men and mutant kind. Yeah. And how Charles Xavier's dream has to change to adapt and survive. Mm-hmm. And how he has connected Magneto and connected every single mutant basically on the planet.
1: Right. And and she shows in an er- earlier issue, she shows Magneto the future. And, and you see glimpses of it in the, in the panel. And, and Magneto freaks out about it. And let's not... Forget, Magneto's seen some stuff over the years. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, given his origin story and what he's been through and where he's come from. I mean, long-time readers know what I'm talking about. Those who don't, you can look it up. You know, Um, but to to show something like that to Magneto and get a person like Magneto who's, like I said, seen some stuff, that is really powerful.
0: Yeah, he's always been, what we'll say, a frenemy of the X-Men, which is so... You know, I'll, I'll be interesting, but it's it's honest. I'll be there to
1: help you if you really need it, and things are really down in the down in the dirt and aren't looking good for the world as a whole. But like, you know, you need a you need a cup of sugar.
0: No, you're on your own. Well, he's always had the stance that mutant kind needs to survive by any means necessary. Yeah, Charles Xavier has always had the peaceful coalition dream of humanity with mutant kind existing, and yeah. has always believed it. So now that the lines are essentially blurred, and it's one or e- or non-existent. Well, yeah. It's just the one vision now is mutant kind has to survive. Yeah. And they're going to, it appears to be drastic measures in some certain cases to get this dream done. House has shown as of the last issues, how Xavier sent a team of X-Men to stop the Orchid space station, which was creating the master molds, which were developing the Sentinels, which eventually would kill off Mm -hmm. mutant kind. And it was essentially a suicide mission as it turned out to be. We don't know what's happening. That issue has just dropped at the comic shop. Mm -hmm. We are going to review that next week. But Powers has been showing the different timelines, and you've seen the origin when Xavier has met Moria McTaggart, and the biggest moment in Mutant Kind happened in issue two. And you found the reveal of this is what Moria McTaggart has been doing. Uh And the connection that in the future where she is the one working with Apocalypse, who is now the future of the X-Men, yeah, which is so weird to say. Yeah, given their history. And how Apocalypse has to fight Nimrod, who is the ultimate sentinel, and basically the mission to send the information back through the time stream to Xavier and now we fast forward to where we are now, which is the recap of where they're connecting little areas throughout the years. Yep. And this is what Powers of Ten has been. Mm-hmm. For this issue, though, they are tying into Mr. Sinister and how yeah. they connected with him. I
1: was like, because to this point, he, you know, he's only ever been referenced in the kind of like information pages that are in, in, in amongst the the actual story. So instead of there being like your traditional panels on a comic book. You know, it's almost like, hey, here's some information you might need to know. And he's been referenced several times and he's been mentioned on those pages seven times. But up to this point, we haven't seen him.
0: No, we have not seen him. But we know that he basically is blamed for betraying mutant kind to the human slash machine coalition in the future. We don't exactly know how he got there, but we are getting a little tidbit of how it started. Right. Because after the flashback of Moria telling a united Professor X and Magneto about the future, they decide to try reaching out to Sinister. Right. Now, at this point, he is located in a hidden city, mm-hmm. which is being referred to as Bar Sinister. Yeah. And it's populated by clones of himself. Well, it's,
1: it's clones of himself, or it's. It, I was reading one thing. It could be from Secret Wars, where there, yes. were, there were a bunch of Mr. Sinisters. It's not quite said which this is.
0: No, it's it's not. But Hickman's writing of Sinister in Secret Wars is definitely... Tying in with this one. Yeah. Gone away is the cold calculating sinister. This one has got some personality, which is weird. Oh, it's weird, but it's it's hysterical to
1: read. Yeah, because I was reading it almost as like a Ryan Reynolds Deadpool.
0: Yeah, that's the way you have to, because sinister has never been written like this before.
1: No, I, I remember him very much from the animated series in the 90s, and I'm like, all right, he was always cold, cool and calculating in that he was not cracking one liners.
0: No, he definitely wasn't. So when Magneto and Xavier show up and they meet what they think is the first version of yeah. Sinister, yeah. who is sitting on a throne, Sinister is not really caring what they're talking about per se. No. He is more focused on Magneto's cape, yeah. which is hysterical, just how he has now been inspired to get a cape, and he's just marking out about that. And then whoever the Victorian Sinister is, as yeah. appearing as his butler, is trying to yeah. agree, and you just see how Sinister just just impulsively goes execute this man <laughs> just out of nowhere because he's interrupting his love of magneto's cape which is yeah. like i say it's just so weird to see
1: yeah i think it was i think if i remember the comic right uh the, the he goes why didn't you ever tell me this why didn't you ever tell me i, I should have a cape he goes well i certainly thought it. he goes yeah well you didn't tell me kill
0: him yes so at this point xavier and magneto are trying to explain to Sinister about what's going on and they know that Sinister has dabbled with DNA before Mm -hmm. and is is a well-known genesis. So at this stage, they're really trying to convince him and Sinister is hearing them out but you can definitely see he's kind of arguing back and forth until he is killed by what we know as I guess the true Sinister?
1: I mean, there's like a dozen or more of them in that room. Is he really the real
0: Mr. Sinister? It makes you wonder, but this is the one that definitely looks like him from the comics of old because you see the tattered cape. It's it's almost like the lion's mane. That's the way i describe it. And as you see him, and he's basically throwing out just witty sarcasm and sass. Yeah. That's the easiest way to describe it because at one point you see him in a panel after he kills off his clone. He's like, it's me. The Sinister with the mutant gene. And if you must know my mutant power, it's overthrowing tyrants and being absolutely fabulous, (laughs) which is hysterical. And you just see Magneto's face (laughs) is just, I see that. He's like, what are we dealing with? It's so incredible. And just you see just how different the character take is on this. And I I think right now, too, especially with how serious the tone of the books have been, Mm -hmm. it's a refreshing shot in the arm. Yeah. That just... It's comedic relief, but it makes sense. Well, be- and
1: it, well, especially after the last issue in this six, you know, 12, it's six issues, six issues on 12-issue run where we just killed off, you know, five or six mainstay mutant starters. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so at this point, they really need something to break the method. And you see Xavier is now planting a hypnotic suggestion in Sinister's head, and he's wiping away the time of this meeting until it comes to where he needs him, which is going to show yet again, Xavier has taken a more aggressive approach to his dream. Mm -hmm. If you can still call it the dream. I don't know if you can, but this is where they almost, dare I say, underestimate him. Yeah. Because this is hinted at at where they have this page called the Red Diamond, which is said to be the best news and gossip from Bar Sinister. And at this point, you're kind of hearing little tidbits, which they're calling Sinister Secrets. And you definitely hear a couple different things going around there. And they're hinting at that the one that has been making the deal with Xavier really isn't the true Sinister. Mm-hmm. which does tie into this, because there's a quote that happens in there, which brainwashed mutant sinister was replaced long before a certain ball somebody knew and has been going in the game for almost as long as the game was being played. Shh. Mm-hmm. Yet again, you can tell the sass is in the voice. Yep. And you can definitely tell that, okay, not everything is on the up and up.
1: Not everything is as it appears
0: no it's definitely not and as they're going through the different secrets and like i say they have a bunch of them it's like two pages worth
1: i think it's like 14 or something like that
0: yeah it's something crazy and they tie into a bunch of different x-men theories throughout the year which i do which i (laughs) i do love like they tie it they tie it back to certain areas the ones though that stuck out that i went wait a sec hold up pad you might not understand the reference but i but when i got hit with this i was like are you kidding me and they're talking about Sinister's mutant DNA is actually not his, but the original DNA belonged to Thunderbird. Oh, boy. Now, do you know the history of Thunderbird? No. Okay, long story very short. giant Size X-Men 1 is when they did the rehash of the X-Men lineup. Sure. Wolverine, Nightcrawler, uh, Storm, Colossus, all were on the team, and Thunderbird was there too. Thunderbird was killed in the mission. Sure. So he has been one of the mutants that will say – it has been Uncle Ben. Okay. He's been dead, hasn't been brought back, at least not to my knowledge, over the many, many years. He's been long known to be dead. They have his brother Warpath in the comics, but it's never been the actual Thunderbird. So the fact that they're tying in that to Sinister I thought was very interesting. Mm-hmm. And then another secret that they were mentioning was that they were alluding to that Scott Summers and his brother Alex Havoc were not the only brothers and in fact, there's more than three brothers in the MCU X-Men timeline, which had been long rumored because it was almost a throwaway line that happened during the uh, X-Men run in the 90s. After, uh-huh. after Chris Claremont, I believe Scott Libdell was writing, or Fabian Nicieza. One of them left the line in and Sinister said to Scott Summers during a confrontation, I know about your brothers. And was like, wait, wait, brothers? Because at that point, we only knew about two Havoc, and Cyclops. Right. It turned out that Vulcan was one that came in later down the years and has been mostly tied into the cosmic uh, part of the MCU. Right. He's been tied in with the Shi'ar and, and the Guardians of the Galaxy of the Comics. So at this point, though, if they're hinting that there's more brothers, I have a wild guess of who it is. Mm-hmm. And I'll throw this out there because, like I said, I haven't read anything. Okay. Back in the 90s, they were doing a annual run, and I can't remember the name of the – the comic line that was going through all the MCU comics. Sure. They did introduce a mutant called Xtreme. Okay. And his power was like he could oxidize your blood and, and use it against you. Oh, my. It was a very interesting one. And it was long rumored that he was connected to Scott Summers. And
1: that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, because one of the things that I think we can tie this to is a tweet uh Jonathan Hickman had on his uh Facebook or t- excuse me, Twitter page last night. Where uh he said that, you know, he basically thanked Brian Michael Bendis and he uh, you know, he basically said, Brian got me my got me my first real Marvel gig, and I've made a career turning that dude's crumbs into meals. So I think that's one of those things that, like, okay, back in the 90s, he might have just been this throwaway, not exactly something big character, and and Hickman's going to turn around and go, no, yeah, he's a big thing now.
0: Well, it definitely is a throwaway character, because you talk to fans, he didn't really make it that far out of that year's annual. Sure. Like, maybe a couple issues here and there, he was tied in with X-Force, but really kind of disappeared on his own, and I don't remember seeing him after that, to be honest with you. So if they're going to tie in that he is related to the Summers family, that's a new face that they could definitely do something with in the comics. I don't know if it's exactly going to be him, but it would be a real throwaway to or throwback rather to the X Men line in the '90s, which, like I said, you have to go really deep diving in your local comic shops to go read about that. Yeah. But also on these Red Diamond Sinister Secrets, they do tie into a connection to Inferno, which was a mutant crossover in the '80s. And definitely say it was weird.
1: Yeah, 80s. It, it was.
0: It was. It was out there. Madeline Pryor was the Goblin Queen. If you know anything about her history with Jean Grey and Scott Summers, yeah, hey. yeah. So they're mentioning that there is a connection there, and they're bringing that up again. And they're also tying into. A rumored affair, so to speak, with Wolverine Mm -hmm. and an X Men or X woman who is married with a kid, Uh and the husband knows exactly going what's going on. Awkward. But uh, you know he's up to much of the same. Like it's it's very interesting how they're wording this. Yeah. So I don't necessarily know where they're gonna go with this statement. I mean, like I said, with Hickman writing it, he said he's the best at what there he's the best there is at what he does. She's married with a kid. The husband knows exactly what's going on, but he, who is he to point the figure? He's up to much of the same and more. Maybe this is just a new normal on the Mutant Island. I mean, it's one of those things, like if you've read Jonathan Hickman, he plants something, I'll
1: call it a seed, he plants a little seed here. It seems like nothing now, and he just kind of leaves it there. And then a couple issues, or maybe a couple of years down the road, it's it's turned into a full-fledged you know, beanstalk.
0: Yeah, this is where it kind of really is interesting to see where they're going with this. And like I said, there's a couple more throwaways in this that you can really kind of dig into. Like they were talking about one about uh, a mutant with secret you know, t- ties that was foiled, but it really wasn't foiled. So I, I almost want to say it has to tie in with Legion. Could be. I'm kind of throwing that out there because I'm really trying to decipher a lot of these secrets because it's a nice – Segue into where they're going to be going right in the future line when that comes out the first week of October right and you have all those different books happening and if they're tying into the history of the X Men I'm glad to see that because I don't want to yeah. see everything rebooted no and everything's a wash no and it just it doesn't need to happen keep,
1: keep the major parts keep the stuff that's kind of most important but anything minor or like forgettable eh, you can let it go
0: right because at this point you have to have the connection to the past to some degree yeah and if you don't you know, really a full reset is great, but how are you gonna explain what just happened with all you know the, yeah. those years of comics? Is a really tough walk line to walk. So we'll have to kind of wait and see what happens. Now at this issue they jump to year ten and they're talking about the origin of Krokoa, which, like I say, is really a different thing to see. Right. At this stage, because Krokoa was tied into, like I said, Giant Size X-Men One way back when. And to see where this is connecting now and you're seeing that they're now tying into what has been going on, at least from where I've read on a couple different sites too, of what's going on with Venom. And yeah. they're tying in with the symbiote yep. uh, king there, Null. Yeah. Which is, I mean, just to see how this has gone. And I mean, when Donny Cates created this just recently, like over the past few years, yeah. to see how this character has now been tied in with like Thor and now X-Men is really showing how just connected the MCU is and how that simple idea has now spawned. Right into different areas of the MCU, it's just really interesting to see because as they're talking about Krakoa is a split off from an organism called Akora. Yeah, which was attacked, and like I said, from the artwork in the comic, it looks like Null was involved. That is what I'm reading. Could out. be. So when he was split off, Krakoa was you know a living island pretty much. Yeah. Um, has another half that is said to be Akra. Mm-hmm. And on this point, you're hearing about Doug Ramsey, who is Cypher, which, if you know anything about the old X-Men comics and uh, New Mutants, per se, he was more infam- infamously known as being a mutant that could translate any language of any being that is existing. Yep. Was also killed off in the comics. Yeah. So now he is back, and he is alive. Because reasons. Well, it's going to be playing out down the lor- the road, because well, yeah. as, as with he's with Xavier, he starts talking to Krakoa and hearing about the history, and you see, you know, basically how the origin story has happened and how it ties in with Apocalypse and the original Horseman. Right. Which is very interesting to see about how they basically defended the land and how Apocalypse has tied into more so of forging the path, so to speak, on Krakoa and what's going on there. So at this stage, it's very interesting to see how far this is all reaching and is this going to play a factor down the road, which I think it is because Probably. with them using Krakoa as a base of operations, and it appears like that it's a moving base, right? Not only is it on the moon, but it's elsewhere too. It's really kind of throwing a nice curveball into things,
1: right? And especially, you know, you brought up Null and, and Carnage in the symbiote. Obviously we know what's going on with, with Venom and Spider-Man and Carnage right now with absolute, absolute Carnage, you know, Thor, I've, if that, uh, War of the gods or whatever it was is it's not done yet. It's still running. Whatever it is, like you've got three major stories going on in the Marvel comic universe, and uh, they all just happen to tie into this new kind of launching off point for the X Men book. Me think, you know, if I were a betting man, you know, I had to go run down to the casino and put some money down. I'd be a betting man. This is all going gonna to come to a head with these three entities or groups or factions, whatever you want to call it, down the road at some point.
0: It's going to be very interesting to see where it comes to. and I, I have to say, I, I take you up on that, Beth, because I think that's where they're going to.
1: Because you can't tell me you're, you're going to tie in the X-Men, you know, uh, Venom, Carnage, the symbiotes, and Thor, and then just, no, oh, hey, you know what, it's just a coincidence. D- never mind that. Don't, don't pay any attention.
0: Well, I think depending on what happens with Absolute Carnage, I think that's going to kind of lead into yeah. where the me- next big crossover is going to happen. Right. And I don't doubt that happening. Because it would, it would make sense, because Marvel has kind of steered away from the huge crossovers lately, which has been a smart idea, like everybody's doing right. their own self-contained. Right. So if they want to go that route, I mean, hey, it would make a lot of sense.
1: Right, and we know they're planning something at the end. Jonathan Hickman took to Twitter last night, and one of the things he said is uh, they just they just wrapped a couple of weeks of Marvel and X summits planning out in the next couple of years. Quote, you guys are going to be very happy with what's headed your way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're going long-term with this, and I have no doubt they're going to. This is going to be a couple of years in the making yeah. when it pays off. Cause... This
1: ain't a slow burn. This is a long burn.
0: Exactly, because as you're seeing in this year, they leave Doug Ramsey on the island yep. to communicate, and, and Xavier basically implants his plan into Ramsey's head.
1: Right, and, and this is how uh, when we saw in issue one, I want to say it was, of House of X where – They bring up the language of Krakoa, and however mutant knows it. Well, Cipher helped come up with this language. He then taught it to, you know, the the various telepaths that were going to be living on the island. And so, if so, when a new mutant shows up to the island for the first time, the telepaths, wherever they, because they're not all, you know, they're spaced out all over the island. Wherever the new mutant comes in, the telepath can then imprint the language into that person's mind, so they don't have to sit there through, you know. Kirkoa lessons.
0: Yeah, this is where they have a page in the book that says Cur- current Kirkoan systems and it breaks down Kirkoa into four different mutants after Cypher establishes the language. Yep. Sage, Black Tom Cassidy, who we did see on the cover of X-Force yep. when that is coming. Trinary and Beast. Uh huh. So it's gonna be interesting where this is kind of starting to take fold and you'll see the spin off from this, I believe, gonna be happening in X Force. Obviously. Probably the fact that they name dropped Black Tom Cassidy and he's on the cover, you know there's gotta be a connection there. Probably. And in this stage now they jump to issue or year one Mm-hmm. And you can definitely see it says X to the third power, so that's where they're saying year one thousand. So that's yep. year the powers of ten. So at this stage, you're you're seeing the future story. Now I have to admit, this is not connecting with me that much.
1: No, but it's it's you, but it's the one of those Hickman things
0: where he's planting a seed and it's going to pay off later. Right, because this is where Apocalypse and the and his team of X Men lost their battle to Nimrod. Right. in the future. This was the ninth
1: life of Moria Metagord, if I remember right.
0: Yeah, and this is where the Fallenics are come to Earth and yep. they're basically trying to take over their own way. And obviously, right. if, you, if you know the history of the characters them taking over is never going to end well. Nope. And how this is going to turn out, they're just basically trying to take over every living being on the earth. I mean, or in the universe, rather. And they're just kind of starting. They're just really trying to go that extra mile and and just basically find a way to assimilate and take over. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing that they're not there to save mutant kind, but really go further. So I'm not sure. I mean, this has kind of been a new twist to the story as we've seen, and anytime those characters are involved, I mean, ever since they really appeared in Generation X's kickoff way right. back when, in that whole storyline, this is where I don't know where they're going. But this is why I love reading about Hickman because this is where it gets interesting that you really have to kind of guess where they're going to happen. Yeah. Because now, if the Falonix is coming over and they're simulating. The remaining forces of humanity, whether there's mutant kind or not, whatever you want to define that group is, is going to have to make their last stand. Obviously, if the X-Men win in the past, does this scenario even happen? These are the questions you're not going to be asking.
1: No, And this yeah. is what we
0: love about reading this.
1: And I do have an answer to a question you brought up earlier in the... Uh Segment I did some digging uh, in regards to Thunderbird coming back or not. There were two instances where he was brought back, but it wasn't very long. Uh, the first one was uh, he was resurrected by Eli Bard together with the rest of his tribe using the techno organic virus. Uh, he was put into the service of Celine and her quest to become a goddess. Uh, Eli and Selene's servants kidnapped John's brother, Warpath, and forced John to conduct a ritual that would transform Selene with Warpath's blood. John told his brother how to stop Selene, however, and Warpath was rescued by vanisher warpath managed to defeat his brother and return him to the grave uh the second instance was during the chaos king's war on reality uh he was again brought back together with several dead x-men when the boundaries between the world and the afterlife weakened uh john and the other dead x-men fought the carrion crow a servant of the chaos king in an attempt to to protect Earth's ley lines John and the deceased X-Men succeeded in their task with the help of the Apache Thunderbird God John and the others returned to their graves so there were two instances he came back but both times it wasn't very long
0: and he went back to being dead yeah so it was a quick hiccup in time yep but not long term not like a Gene no. Jean Grey return not,
1: not like an X-Men or excuse me a Wolverine we're going to encase you in adamantium and oh hey two years down the road you're back
0: yeah which we all knew that was happening yeah. with him. I yeah. mean that's just that's how comics go but overall Pat final thoughts on the issue
1: love the issue love them seeing uh put some some uh personality into mr sinister it was real fun to read if if i can if somebody at a con someplace can get ryan reynolds to read some of those lines like just record them and get them to say some of those. I'd be really happy to hear that because I'm reading them as Ryan Reynolds.
0: Yeah, that's how you have to read it. I mean, the overall, the issue is great, and the only thing, like I said, just hasn't connected with me is the Year 1000 stuff. Yeah. But, like I say, I'm playing the long game with this as well. I'm still reading and still just trying to figure out what's going on because...
1: It's, it's just one of those things that, like, it's not making sense now, but hopefully by the end of everything in the final issue of this 12-issue run... We can then go, oh, this is where how it connects. And, and you just go back and you read those and, parts.
0: And that's how Hickman writes. Yeah. So that's going to make perfect sense to yeah. us. But let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag. Hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts on the latest issue of Powers of Ten, as it's pro- properly called? But we can still call it Powers of X. Sure. I have no issue with that. Definitely hit us up on the social media. Let us know what you think. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is George Gatton, and you are listening to the Ocho Duro Harley Hour Entertainment Edition. Coming back for the second segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we are going to be talking Titans. Mm-hmm. Now, Pad, why don't you break the big news you just informed me off air concerning you and the DC Universe?
1: I finally signed up. It'd been a long time coming, you know, kind of dragging my feet on it. Wasn't real sold by Titans, but I got to admit, Saturday I had an urge to watch uh, Batman the Animated Series, and so, well, I signed up for it.
0: Yes, you definitely need to get caught up on this because I know we are going to talk spoilers on this. So I mean, l- f-
1: listen, I'm catching up on uh, Action Comics from issue one and I got to admit the early stuff is real hokey
0: you know it is but it is what it is it's you, good though yeah it's good yeah you can't be mad about that no. mean, comics no. comics to the letter folks that's what we were talking about but on this segment we are going to be talking about Titans and like we said yes we previewed the season coming back we did talk about the season premiere last week and I said well you know it's kind of like an okay episode wasn't great didn't really move the needle for me per se but I was like we gotta give it another shot and let's see what we're kind of doing with here and sure enough, they came back with a very strong follow-up episode. Mm-hmm. So like I said, we are going to be talking spoilers. Pat has given me permission because I know he's yes. catching up now. But we are going to start deep diving into that episode as I'm talking right now. So the episode jumps in three months after the season premiere. So everybody is kind of at a different place. And you see Dick Grayson and Raven in a coffee shop in San Francisco. That is where the base is being established right now. So Brennan Thwaites and Tegan Croft, who play both Dick Grayson and Rachel Roth, are having this kind of mentorship moment, which I really wasn't kind of expecting. Right. It's still throwing me off a little bit about this, and we talked about this on Parlay Points with the guest blog from Honkers, Mike Pathy, on there. That with Raven being younger than Dick Grayson in this, they're not exactly peers. Right. It's kind of like a, a bigger sibling, younger sibling, yeah. By peer. Okay. You know, apprentice to mentor. And it's really kind of throwing me off a little bit about this.
1: Right, yeah. I mean, because when I think Titans, and and I know I've said this before, I think of the original uh, cartoon from the early, mid 2000s on Cartoon Network, where, you know, they never really said the ages. You know, Robin might have been a little bit older than Raven, but it wasn't much.
0: No, and and this version definitely looks like there's a a distinct age difference to a degree. I mean, not like really. Right,
1: yeah. Yeah, we're not talking like Robin's in his 20s and then Raven's like seven or eight years old.
0: Right, no, it's nothing like that. But it's just kind of weird that they're having like that mentorship role, and Dick Grayson has now established himself as the leader of Titans. They now are back in Titans Tower in San Francisco, which is different than the comics. Sure. But it, uh, but it makes sense because yeah. the comics is just a huge T that's on its own island. They're really not going to fit in with the real-world scenario that they're going with on this. Right. And as they're talking to the, cof- the coffee shop about the future of the team and how they're restarting, they do flash to Beast Boy and Jason Todd training. And this is a—it's a fun little sequence they have going on with this. Kurt Walters, who plays Jason Todd, is trying to be the one who's standing out and is like more like Damian Wayne in this scenario. Okay, that okay—he's like I'm blindfolded and he's trying to you know fight Beast Boy, who's played by Ryan Potter, and the entire time like he's one-upping Beast Boy until like the last moments, and then he gets handed the defeat. Oh boy! And at this point is just kind of a really interesting dynamic of just humble pie that Jason Todd has to take. Because when Dick Grayson is, comes back, he finds out that he is technically, Jason Todd has been banished from the Batcave. Oof. For tampering with the computer. Oh, boy. Amongst. Other instances that he's done on the show, like riding his motorcycle through Wayne Manor.
1: Oh, that's what you get for trying to play Steam games on the back computer.
0: Yes. Uh, well, he's caught being having some questionable sights on the, co- oh, the computer. Oh, uh-oh. Uh-oh. So, uh, yeah. So oh, basi- awkward. Yeah, so basically he's told uh, you have to get better here first before you go back. Bruce has put his foot down about this. (laughs) You made dad mad. Yeah, which, I mean, it was funny to hear because I was like, wait, he did what? And that's what I'm assuming when Um. they said there was some questionable sites on the back computer. Yeah, okay. Which, I don't know, I don't want to deal with that virus check. No. No way, shape, or form. But as they flash now to San Quentin Prison, and in the hallway, you just see bodies and blood everywhere. And there's a gentleman that's in like a red light cell until he finally disappears, and who is that gentleman, you ask? That is Dr. Light, Ooh. who has now made his official appearance on the show. And as he is going through, Michael Mosley is playing Dr. Light. Uh, he basically has a little gripe with the Titans, that okay. we don't know exactly what's going on, but we do know that something has happened, that Right. he has a little vengeance on him. Now, nobody has exactly said how he is free, but I have two words for you, Slade Wilson. Uh-oh. And how this is all going to play out is going to get very, very interesting. But then they flash to Wyoming, where you see Hawk and Dove, Alan Richardson, and M- Minka Kelly have established what it appears to be like a halfway house. Okay. That they're on a farm. They have somebody who is like a troubled youth, and, and they're really trying to steer them, you know, straight. And they're kind of going like you know, basically accepting that they're retired superheroes. And basically this is the transition phase they have in their life. And then now they flash to Chicago, where you see Starfire, my standout character on the show, Anna Diop, playing her. And they have added Connor Leslie playing Donna Troy. And the pairing up is they are working on a case, and they're looking for a character known as Shimmer. Okay. Now, why does this stick out, Pad? Say it sounds familiar. Well, they dropped the name Roy Harper Uh-oh. in this. Uh-oh. Now, I have not heard any casting. Right. And I'm almost wondering if they are going to do that based off the fact that we do have a Roy Harper on the DCCW universe. Mm -hmm. Because technically we haven't crossed over with characters per se. We are starting with Slade Wilson, yeah, but when we start doing that with Roy Harper and obviously... That connection. I mean, I mean it's I
1: mean, it's possible because Arrow, as we know, is ending after this upcoming season. It's possible.
0: Yeah. I mean, anything anything is possible with the DC Universe. I mean, so
1: Roy Harper can't show up in uh, Star City, but he can show up with the Titans.
0: Yeah. So who's to say? We haven't heard any casting yet, so I'm very interested to see. I don't think that was a throwaway line by any means. No. Because they referenced it a few times. And then as we go back to San Francisco, like I said, the one thing about this episode, which I did like is they did label when they went to a different city. Oh, okay. So it was at least easy to follow. But then they jump back to San Francisco. And in this case, we're introduced to one Rose Wilson, Mm -hmm. who's played by Chelsea Zhang. And at this point, she is fresh from losing her eye. Like, it's bandaged up. You can kind of see that something has happened. And she is on the run. Okay. And we really don't know too much of why exactly yet, but we are finding out. And then they do flash to Raven, who is... Basically, losing her control of her powers. Like, she goes to sleep, and you see it almost looks like Trigon is still inside her. Okay. Which I would believe. Which I fully believe. And you just see this, like, dark figure emerge out of her. And as she wakes, she finds she's got actual cuts on her rib cage. And she doesn't exactly know how she gets it, but obviously, she's playing her cards very close to her. Sure. And she's not tipping off anything. And when she's talking with Gar, you know, she's just kind of going through the basics, like, okay, what are we doing here? And at this point, on the TV, you see that Rose is leading a multi-police officer chase right. through the city. And there's a cool fight scene. And Dick Grayson basically walks in and sees this and says, okay, I'm going to intervene. You guys sit here. <laughs> and then they now flash to where Rose has now passed, off, passed out unconsciously in some alley. So she's on the run. She's unconscious. Grayson's making the save. and San Francisco for right now. We go back to Wyoming. And this is where it gets very interesting because at the beginning we saw that Hawk and Delver accepting that, okay, we're retired superheroes. All of a sudden they show a picture of a meth lab, a rural meth lab. Mm -hmm. And suddenly the lights go out and the door opens. Say a rural meth lab in the middle of uh, New Mexico? Albuquerque? Uh, No, but I was thinking it had a Breaking Bad vibe to it. It definitely did. Heisenberg. But once the lights go out, who appears but Dove, who is beating the holy hell out of everybody involved. And she forces them to call the police and basically rat themselves out. Oh, boy. Which is very interesting to see her do that, because if anybody was going to do that, you would assume it would be Hawk in the comics. But when she returns back, Hawk starts questioning her about, okay, how long has this been going on? And he finds out it's been going on for at least a month. And he is not exactly happy about this. So now they're talking about this and talking about, you know, previous issues of, you know, drug issues. And it's a very interesting scenario. Right. That they're having this talk. But the biggest moment of this is the wayward kid that they're helping out comes in and he's glowing Hmm. internally Hmm. of light. Oh, boy. Hawk knows this. Dove knows this. They leave the house. The house explodes. (laughs) Basically... They, Doctor Light, put a bo- a light bomb in this kid. Uh, okay, and it goes off. At this point, they have no choice. They are on the phone to Dick Grayson and saying, "Hey, S O uh, S, Doctor Light is out. Come get your guy." Uh, yeah. Basically, heads up, he's on the way. And Dick Grayson's like, "Wait, what? What?" And he's like, "Yeah, he's supposed to be in San Quentin. Yeah, uh, he's not. Uh, we just had a kid explode from light in the house." Yeah. Are you so, sure? Yeah, it was basically like one of those moments. Like Dick Grayson's, like, wait, wait. wait like wait, they're wait. they're
1: explaining it clear as day, and then Dick Grayson's like asking a thousand questions, and they're like, no, listen, stop asking questions. Hop in a jet and get over here.
0: Yeah. So at this stage, it's like, all right, there's so much going on, which I love that they're now setting yeah. up the little things going on here and yeah. there, and and like I said, at this stage, they have flashback to the tower, and Rose is now in the possession of the Teen Titans, or the Titans, rather. Right. And she is basically trying to figure out if she's a prisoner here, and everybody's trying to figure out what is going on with her. And Raven is saying, okay, we should definitely protect her, but Jason Todd is going Jason Todd and is like, nope, get her out of here. She's not on my team. This is not happening. We don't even know who she is. And as soon as they leave, Jason tells Gar, oh, I have a way to figure this out. I'll I'll track down who she is. And I'm going, are you going to really try hacking into Batman's computer? Good Are you really going to be that guy? He's going to know. He's going to know. But at the same time, Dick calls Bruce. And he is having a weird heart-to-heart because if you saw the first season, this did not happen. They're not exactly on speaking terms. No, but Ian Glenn, who plays Bruce Wayne, is servicing the role very well. Like I say, you know how we said before we weren't really sure how it was going to play out. He's doing very well because he's being stern, but yet the fatherly figure, so to speak. Sure. Which you see in the comics. Sure. I really love the portrayal thus far. And as they say, they're having the mentoring role, and Dick is just like, okay, what do I do? Like, I am way over my head right now. Right. He's just saying, like, I want to change the same thing. You do what you need to. And he's like, well, I'm not going to put a million trackers on this kid and no. follow him everywhere he's going. No. He's like, no, but you do what you need to do for your team, and you'll figure this out, and it'll come there. And then, then they flash to Chicago. Where you see that Starfire and Wonder Girl are still waiting for Shimmer to appear, and they do have this little tongue-in-cheek jokes uh, going on because Starfire is a very big fan of like seventies disco pop okay. music. Yeah, and you just see like uh, Donna Troy is just like, "Can we please turn to something else? <laughs> <laughs> this yeah, has been on yeah. repeat." And she's like, "It's not my fault. You don't have good taste." This is
1: the greatest song ever. I know, but it came out forty years
0: ago. Yeah, like it's it's so it's just a nice little like comedic scene, but. It's well-humored with everything going on. and Like I said, I really loved how they were setting this episode up little by little. And then when they finally defeat Shimmer, who finally makes her appearance, they have a really cool action scene, and then they're like, okay, well, we're going to get some food now. As Corey takes off to go do this, because Roy Harper is calling yet again Donna Troy, she is visited by somebody from her home planet, as I am assuming, from Tamaran, who basically says, I'm sorry to do this to you, but we have to take you back. And it basically knocks her unconscious with a weapon, and then Donna Troy shows up too late, so Starfire has basically been kidnapped That's at this stage. Good. And also to close out with the episode, though, Rose is going back and forth after Dick has had his talk with Bruce Wayne about what to do, and he basically says, "Okay, I'll send you on your way. Here's our phone." You're going to have to make your own choice. Right. If you want to be with us, we'll help you. And she goes, you don't know who's coming after me. You don't want to deal with this. You want no part of this. So as he's ready to send her on her way, what happens? But they get a visit from Dr. Light. And this is where the episode leaves. Oh, boy. For them. And just the cherry on the sundae, though, Jason Todd figures out who Rose Wilson is and Uh figures out who's her dad. Uh Uh-oh. Slade Wilson. Oh, boy. Deathstroke. Oh, boy. Fade to Black. Oh, boy. Love the episode. Absolutely love the episode. This is the Titans I've been wanting to see. This had so much going on. The pacing was good, the acting was top shelf. This is definitely setting up for some big things happening down the road. And like I say, it's tying into that classic new Teen Titans run. I'm super excited for this. Pat, I can't wait till you start jumping in yeah. on this. I know I may be spoiling this, but don't take my word for it. You're fine. Definitely watch it. It comes out every Friday right now on the DC Universe streaming service. So if you're not subscribed yet, Pad just joined. Yep. Be like him. Join the service. It's awesome. Definitely hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts about Titans? What was your thoughts about Mike Pathy's blog? You know, from the band Honker, they have their music up on OchoDuralParleyHour.com. You can find the links along with Shout at the Robots, Floodlands, Walking Distance, all the great bands that you heard featured on the show. Mike is a huge Titans fan. He definitely wrote an honest piece about it. And he's super excited about the season coming out, so definitely check that out on Parlay Points. but We definitely want to hear what you have to say about Titans. So hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Jimmy Gazdick from Crimson Brethren and Floodlands, and you're listening to ODPH. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And, Pad, do you know what Saturday is? Uh, My sister's birthday. Uh, Maybe. Shout-out to Morgan. Yes. Um, but no, this is not what I'm referring to. Along with this, okay, it is Batman Day 2019. Kind of a big day. Kind of a big day. Definitely the 80th anniversary of Batman is going on. Ooh, 80. Yes, he's looking pretty good for 80 years old. Yeah, I would say. I mean, this is definitely a wild time to see 80 years of Batman. Yeah, that to celebrate the you know 80 years of the Dark Knight. He has an official day as he should. And there's going to be a lot of different fan events going on. You can find out more information about that on DCComics.com, and definitely check out your local comic shops too. I gotta imagine everybody's doing something. Yeah. For this. So, Pat, let me ask you this. 80, sure. Eighty years of Batman. Mm-hmm. We talked about this last year for Batman Day. Yeah. Where do you think the brand is going with Batman? What do you think is the status of Batman?
1: I think Batman's doing pretty well these days. I mean, you look at some of the stuff that's been going on with comics last year with with Metal and, you know, especially the Batman who laughs and and just how riveting and captivating that has been because, you know, you take something like that and just something like a character like Batman, flip it on and said, oh, hey, he's not, you know, just the Cape Crusader anymore, the good guy. No, this guy's the bad guy. And he's infecting some of your your well known favorite characters and turning them into villains, and you don't know who's coming for next. So I'd say you know it's for a character who's been around for eighty years, and you would think, oh, he you know they've done everything with him that they can. There's nothing left to do. They they continue to find ways to keep it fresh and interesting.
0: Yeah, definitely so. I mean, the one thing about Batman, he's always you know become like a a cultural icon. Like he's he's ascended to that status. That's what I'm trying to say. That he is arguably in your top five of all-time superheroes. Yeah. Arguably. I mean, some rank him higher than others. He's ascended to the status point where he has college
1: courses devoted to him and his rogues gallery.
0: Right. And there's no slowing down of his popularity. I mean, there's a new movie trilogy going to be coming out with Robert Pattinson playing it which has been now rumored on a few different sites that we've read as being the long Halloween, which we did yeah. mention on the show. And if this happens, oh, I will be there first day yeah. and then some. Yeah. I cannot wait to see that that's coming to screen because that would be the only thing that makes sense with all the villains they've been right. rumored to be yeah. added to the show. Yeah. yeah, But getting back to the point, though, Batman has really become a pop, pop culture icon. Yeah. And you can definitely see with just the range of the books and the quality of the books that are yeah. going on. I mean, Tom King's run currently on Batman is nothing to sneeze about by any stretch of the imagination. We just had Detective Comics 1,000 happen. Yeah, a thousand issues. Yeah, primarily of Batman too. Yeah, how crazy is that to say we
1: live in that world? It's just wild. I mean, it's something that you know, if if Bob Kane, the creator, were still around, you know, you could say to the guy, hey, listen, do you realize Batman's been around for a thousand issues? And you go, "Wait, what?"
0: Yeah, and just the impact that he's had. Because I mean, how would you say that he has changed the superhero game?
1: I would say he changed the superhero game from you look at other superheroes and and heroes, not villains, where it it's kind of the same side of the coin where it's the Superman and the Captain America and the Spider-Man and and, and kind of like the bright shiny future and the truth justice in the American way. And and then you have Batman who Okay, he's not like the other heroes, you know, he doesn't have superpowers per se, I mean, you can argue that his brain is a superpower, you know, but he's doing it based off of just the skill set he's developed over the years, the, the intellect he has, and and just sheer force of will, and, and and he's not the brightest, shiniest character there is, he's got a lot of grit to him, he's, you know... He's not going to sparkle if you shine a light on the guy. He's a little dirty. He's a little, you know, got a little marks on him. He's got some scars. You know, he's not perfect by any means, but that's kind of what makes him awesome.
0: Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, the one thing about Batman, which I definitely think over the years, and depending on what interpretation you read and which one stands out to you, like yeah. for me, I've said it since day one, and I'll say it again Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's Batman is my Batman. Sure. Because it's the first time that you've seen him be the overconfident smartest guy in the room, yeah. but finally have fear put into him because he's never really had that. Right. When you look over the years since his inception by Bob King, Bob Kane, and Bill Finger too. Yeah. He has grown into from being just the original anti-hero, which mm-hmm. I think is the easiest way because yeah. he used to have a gun on him. Yeah. To where he's gone through the different periods of becoming the world's greatest detective and using those skills. Yeah. And really focusing on just developing his style of vigilante justice in then almost developing code because when he stopped carrying a gun and he was being more so using his brain and being a detective and truly solving crimes, especially with his rogues gallery. Right. Which is arguably, and I know they had this debate on 3FM this week too, of he has arguably the best rogues gallery in comics. Oh, hands down.
1: Listen, I'm a Superman guy. Superman is my favorite hero, you know, and yes, he does. I do like his, his rogues gallery, but it can't hold a candle to Batman's.
0: No, Batman's is, I have to say, it's got to be number one. Yeah, just just the range of what you can run into with
1: those characters is unlike anything any other character has. You can go from a character like a Joker who just doesn't give a you-know-what and will do anything. I mean, I was rewatching some of the Batman the Animated series over the weekend, and there was the one episode where he drives a, a garbage tanker truck thing around the waters of Gotham making people laugh. You know, with laughing gas to to you have that to, you know, a, a character like Riddler who, you know, he wants you to know it was him, but he's got to leave you a little
0: riddle to figure it out. Oh, yeah, because it plays off everything that makes up Bruce Wayne. Yeah, because your villain will make your hero. Your hero doesn't make himself or right, herself. Right. It is always based off who their antagonist is. Spider-Man has a great rogues gallery, yeah. too. Like, I think if you have to say your top three rogues gallery. I will say Batman, I will say Spider-Man, and I will say The Flash. Okay. Flash has a very – you haven't seen it on the CW. That's where I think it's – Yeah. And that's another discussion for another time. Yeah. But if you look at overall Rogue's galleries, Batman's plays off almost every single psyche and emotion that he is. We take a look at his greatest villain, the Joker. Yeah. He is the complete opposite of what Batman is,
1: right? And and you look at everything, and especially the stories where he's had to face them all in like one story arc. Oh, Nightfall
0: comes right to mind. You
1: know, Nightfall, where each villain will test some portion of him. That like it's not just an oh, I can just run through these guys and just barrel through them and solve it more so than anything. I got to outthink. I got to outthink Riddler's riddles. I got to be able to outsmart. You know, a guy like uh, Bane. I got to be able to outthink and outsmart joker like the none of these guys think the same way no they 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 get together for a common enemy and a common goal but that lasts to, about as long as i don't know what it's not long
0: yeah because i can throw you five different villains right now on top of the head okay joker yep Razagul. yep mr freeze yep bane uh-huh man bat yeah i'm just random five right there all of them are different yeah all of them have a different connection to batman all of them with the exception, I think, of Joker. Yeah. Has almost like a tragic background to him. Yeah. I mean, you take a look at like a villain like Two-Face. Yeah. Who was Batman's best friend. Yeah. Who was scarred and then caused a split personality. And then you wonder like how long that's been deep-rooted in him and just a psychological factor in there. Yeah. Mr. Freeze, his motivation, he was trying to save his wife. And obviously when she was putting cryogenic freeze, so was he. He's the one trying to find a way to save her and going by any means to do it. And he's been corrupted and any emotion yeah. is just frozen out of him. To Bane... Who started out as basically an evolution of Batman, right? To to really break it down to see his true comic origin, not to say that whole Batman and Robin movie <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> and but you take a look at now, especially yeah. the Tom King run yeah. that's going on right now. Yeah, how they've really elevated him back to where he was. Yeah, and where he should be. I mean, that just goes to say right there. And then obviously take a look at like Razal Ghul, who is basically what Batman could be if he really wanted
1: to. Yeah. He's almost the uh, he, it's a, almost a what if for Batman.
0: Yeah. And just seeing how far he is and just basically the evolution of what Batman's vision of justice is. And, so, and it's almost like Batman with the no morals. Right. And then to go right to the Joker, who is the complete opposite of Batman. He's just madness personified. Exactly. And that's why Batman struggles to defeat him. Because how do you defeat somebody that is completely unpredictable to figure out? And, and is not afraid to do anything or go to
1: any means necessary to get what he wants. Oh, to rob this bank, I have to drive a, a bus full of people into the front of the thing just to get open the front door?
0: Okay. Yeah, it's just a wild scenario to think that all these characters are, have play off something about Bruce Wayne, and that's why the connection's so deep. Even so, like, to more recent villains, like the Court of Owls, yeah. which I absolutely love. I think that was one of the most brilliant ideas for a rogues gallery ever. Yeah. Because that was something Batman could not handle. No, he could not wrap his head around. no. And there's been so many more down the down the road, too. And he does have, arguably, the strongest allies of any superhero. Yeah. If you think about it, because yeah. he has the entire Bat family and how they've now grown into their own heroes, which Dick Grayson has now grown out of the shadow of Batman. Took him long enough. It did take him long enough, because when they finally established him as Nightwing... And now to see the progression of that character. Not saying the current thing where he's now Rick Grayson and whatever that is, which I'm going to say right now, I can't wait for that to get retconned. I am not a fan of that one right now. But I digress. But to see the evolution of him and where Nightwing has gone to where I guess now he's officially called Drake. Drake? I know. This is the first thing I thought of too. Drake? Tim Drake, who has emerged as his own Robin, but now as his own hero. To Jason Todd, yeah. who was originally very disliked. The the most hated character in D C history. I don't know if he was up he's he's up there in the he, discussion he, at the there. at the time. I don't think he was the most though. But anytime you have a one eight hundred number 800 number there to... Uh, yeah,
1: do you want to kill him or do you want him to live?
0: Yeah, and everybody was like, no, nah, I ain't going to do it. And then sure enough, they did. But how uh-huh. they brought him back yeah, and now is a very interesting dynamic to where they have the signal and then you take a look at Batgirl and all the incarnations of her and how much of a strong character that she has been over the years, whether it's been Barbara Gordon, yeah. Cassandra Kane, Cassandra or the spoiler when she was playing the role. Right. It's always interesting to see how... Batman's influence has spread to where heroes that have been under his wing, so to speak, have now grown into their own characters. I mean, some have definitely not gone that same route. Yeah, Ezreal, I think, is probably one that comes to mind. But the different incarnations of that character, is, is that's a whole different discussion too. But overall, though, to take a look and see where the influence is, and definitely the character has connected with so many fans. And why do you think that?
1: I think it's just one of those things where, you know, as cool as Superman and, and Iron Man and, and Captain America and all those, you know, bright, shiny superheroes are, not everyone connects with that. Not every, you know, yeah, they're cool. Yeah, they're awesome. But like the world isn't like that. The world isn't bright, shiny and do everything right and everything will work out in the end. Like you're going to get knocked down a few times before you get what you want and it's not going to be pretty. Mm-hmm. And I th- and I just think it's a lot of people relate to that, that they see their lives and, and they, you know, for whatever they're going through and whatever they've been through. It isn't bright, shiny in here. Let me just stand here and fight the bad guy, and it's and it's magically solved by the end of the issue. You know, no, that's not the case. Like, it's going to take you a little while, and you're going to have to go through some trials and tribulations and possibly get your back broken. You know, hello, Bane. Mm-hmm. You know, but it'll work out in the
0: end. I just think that he connects with a lot of people because as much as a majority of people connect with Superman, I mean, I think a lot of people do for what he is supposed to represent. Yeah. I think for a vast majority of fans too, they like the Batman teeters on the edge of just he still gets the job done. He is still a, an ordinary man. Yeah, at the end of the day, so there is that relatability that he's as human as everybody else. That he just pushes himself that much further and its, it's will and its drive, and he just connects with people that way. To, to see how one man can stand up there with the Supermans and the Wonder Womans and the Green Lanterns and the Flashes, all these superpower character, and yet he is the one that winds up being the most dangerous. I think this was yeah. brought to life, and you can't put a better example on it, than Grant Morrison's JLA run, the first issues when they were fighting uh, the aliens, yeah, and how they took out everybody else in the JLA, yeah. except Batman, and the head... Of the white Martians that were in charge, goes you fool! You left the most dangerous one out there to fend for himself. And they're like, "What do you mean? He has no powers. He's the most dangerous one."
1: I think you can also uh, connect it to the—I forget the name of the animated movie, but I think it's Doom, Justice League Doom, mm. where you know the the uh, Legion of Doom, you know, shows up and and takes out the entire Justice League. And they're like, "How did this happen? They they knew all our weaknesses and they knew how to use them." And it comes out, Batman had a, had a contingency plan for if any of them went rogue, any of them went bad, and could take them all down. And they go, why did you do this? Why didn't you tell us? He goes, why, you know, why would you do this? He goes, you're telling me you wouldn't? You don't?
0: Yeah. I mean, how he's been written over the years in the comics is a different interpretation. Like I said, some really connect, yeah. some really don't. But like I say, he's always been the one that is supposed to be the coolest guy in the room. And I think another reason that people connect with him is he has so many cool toys. Yeah. To comment the movie. Uh, yeah. You know, Batman 89. He he has such wonderful toys that he is just all these different gadgets. It really is just kind of like, how is this one person doing this? Yeah. And I think that really gravitates towards a lot of people. And I think just how he's written, because, I mean, it's almost like an every struggle, but it's one that is not afraid to, you know, get his hands dirty. And I think that a lot of people can relate to that, like you touched upon a little yeah. bit. And now, where do you see the future going with Batman?
1: Man, I don't know. Just... I keep referencing it, but I love what they're doing with year the villain and, and the Batman who laughs and just how unique and different that is mm. that, you know, anyone in the DC universe is up for grabs. Like he could show up and infect Lois Lane and just how wild that would be. You know, I, I honestly can't tell you where they're going to go with it because anytime I try guessing I'm 110% wrong.
0: Yeah. For me, the future is as bright as ever. I mean, 80 years strong, and the quality of the books coming out too. Yeah. I mean, I know we always talk about Batman, but Detective Comics is nothing to sneeze about. No. And every Batman book that's coming out has really stepped their game up to really give Batman the the proper respect that he deserves. Like I said, Tom King's run of Batman, I really love. I mean, for me is one A, one B sure with Scott Snyder's because what they've done with his run is they've made they put the man back into the bat. And you see the complex stories that happen just when most of it's been a relationship book, if you want to break it down, to yeah, be perfectly es- honest. essentially. With him and Catwoman and just the on-again, off-again romance going on there. Right. But like I said, for me, it, it's right behind Snyder and Capullo's run because, like I said, you finally put fear into the guy that never had fear. And to see him become more human in that aspect, I thought was the greatest take of Batman that we've seen to see where this happens now because King's run is going to be ending next year. Right. And where the story is going to go after that. We know that it is a Batman Catwoman uh, limited series. That's going to finish out his run. Maybe they'll finally get married. I think, I think that's going to happen. And then that just leads to a whole bunch of different stories. And then depending on who takes over the comic, because I know Snyder and Capullo are not going to be returning that they'll, they'll have another project coming out though. I think they've been hinting at that a little bit Have to kind of ask him down at New York comic con, but I think that they'll definitely put somebody else on the book that's really going to take it in a different direction. Yeah. One name is ringing like a bell, though, that I think he's definitely going to have his chance to run with it, and that's Brian Michael Bendis. Okay. I fully see that happening. I love
1: what he's been doing with Superman.
0: Yeah, I fully see him taking that on, too. And if you can do The World's Finest on there, too, is anybody's guess. Sign me up. Absolutely. I mean, like I say, take a look at the movies coming out from where Batman 89 started. Yeah. Arguably the best Batman movie. You can definitely have that debate on Twitter all day. Yeah to where they've gone with the Christopher Nolan version and now where they're going with the Matt Reeves story going, and that is the long Halloween like we've heard on a couple of different sites, that is going to be something too. And for the animated side, Batman Beyond is celebrating 20 years. Yeah. Where that can go.
1: Another season, please. Please,
0: please. The future is so bright for the Dark Knight, it's not even funny. And that's why celebrating everything that is Batman one day a year I mean, it's just one day, but it's one day that he definitely shines in the spotlight. And for Batman fans, every day is Batman Day. But for everybody else, it is going to be September 21st. I highly recommend checking out DCComics.com to find out the links for everything going on for Batman Day because there's going to be a lot of stuff going on, especially at your comic book shops too. So when you pop in there, definitely talk to your people working there. And see what's going on, because I guarantee everybody's celebrating something for the Dark Knight. Oh, probably. Yeah. But let us know what your favorite Batman memory is. What is what stands out to you about Batman? We wanna know. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH, your thoughts on Batman Day and Batman in general. Hit us up, let us know. We'll be right back. Yeah, we- Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Pad, what did you got for the one-shots?
1: Well, as I mentioned last week, Borderlands 3 was coming out last week and how excited I was for it. I've been digging into it, I've been playing it, and i got to say, I love it. It feels like another extension in the Borderlands franchise, which is to say it's a lot of fun. I haven't run into many Easter eggs yet. I know there are some in there. I think I ran into one that was a uh, reference to Bioshock and the Big Daddy, for those of you who've played Bioshock. Uh, But I'm really digging it so far. Probably the greatest... Thing They brought into the game thus far, other than the running slide, which is just so much fun to do when you're playing the game nice is obviously looting is a big part of the game. You open things and you can get ammo, you can get money, you can get weapons, gear, what have you before. If you opened a chest and it gave you uh, health or ammo or something, you had to go up to each individual thing and press. X or square, depending on what system you're playing on, it would give it to you. Or you could hold that button and it would just pull in what you need. Now, you open something. If you need it, it automatically goes into your inventory. Hmm. Greatest invention they put into the <laughs> game. My God, why didn't they do that sooner? It saved me a lot of time. You know, but I've been playing as Moe's. For those of you who have been playing the, the game, uh, she is the character with the bear suit, mech suit, you know, where you can uh, attach two different weapons onto the arms. You can attach, uh, I've got the... Uh, chain gun or the the machine gun on one arm and then the rocket launcher on the other arm, and it's just a lot of fun. They're like, oh, no, I'm in a lot of trouble. Oh, hold on. Let me pull out my mech suit and just go running through everything. It's been a lot of fun. I cannot recommend it enough if you are a Borderlands fan or if you're a gaming fan. It's just a ton of fun.
0: Nice. I mean, I'm slowly getting into the game. Like I, sure. I, I've seen some footage online about it i mean it looks really fun
1: oh yeah no it's a ton of fun and the the thing with the borderlands games is there's always a lot of easter eggs i haven't found it yet but i know there's a lord of the rings a couple easter eggs in there and i want to find them because i love lord of the rings oh that'd be incredible so uh, just kind of the fun things that are going to get added to it you know i know it's been going through its issues and whatnot and and there's currently a destiny style loot uh chest much like we're in destiny one there was a loot cave where you could get really good uh loot without really having to do much work i'm avoiding it i'm not going near it because (laughs) that that to me will just ruin the experience and just kind of the fun of like if i'm level you know 10 and and running through with a a legendary weapon and it's just really easy to go through i'm like yeah that kind of takes the fun out of
0: it right understandable yeah but overall though it's worth picking up
1: absolutely absolutely worth picking up cannot recommend it enough well done to gearbox and and 2k games
0: nice so, for me, not too much on my plate for one-shots. Just got to give a couple comic re- recommendations. Okay. Now, for Marvel, they have a strong week coming out this week. They have House of X 5, which obviously we'll be reviewing next week on the show. Absolute Carnage 3 yes. is coming out. And J.J. Abrams' Spider-Man. Ooh, already. Yes, that's already that's coming snuck up on us. That's coming out. I know Brag Guy Signal is going to be reviewing that on the comics blog on Parlay Points, so check okay. out OchoDuroParleyHour.com tomorrow. It's Thursday as we're recording because that will be posted up by then. So definitely give some feedback on that. And looking at the DC comic side of things, I mean, Marvel has a very strong week, but not to be outdone. They do have some books coming out for DC as well. I mean, Batman 79 is Tom King's, you know, City of Bane storyline is still going on, and how good is that? And just, I mean, looking at everything coming on, they have got... Jeff Johns' book two, which, I mean, they've been putting a lot of pairings together of his Green Lantern run, which, I mean, if you haven't read Jeff Johns' Green Lantern, mm-hmm. has been incredible. I mean, like, that is the benchmark of that character. Like you say, certain writers have a certain take on characters. Jeff Johns has written the perfect Green Lantern by far. Okay. And plus, there's a lot of ties into the year of the villain going on right? For, throughout the DC universe. Uh, so definitely, when you go on there and check it out, at your local comic shop, you can definitely find a lot of stuff going on for that. And there's so much happening. Just go down to your local comic shop and go pick that up. But like I say, you're the villain is dominating right yeah, now of, yeah. of all the DC comics. So I mean, it really depends on who your hero is that you want to go check out. I know that the Nightwing is is coming out too, which, like I say, I'm not a super big fan of the whole Rick Grayson storyline. Right. But I know that they will get recon sooner than later. And I mean, definitely Justice League is going to be out too, which is you're the villain, but. Scott Snyder and James Stein and Reinen. Pff, Sign me up. Enough said. Enough said. I mean, that, that whole Justice League book is just fun, fun, fun to read. Yeah. So definitely go check that out. The music you heard on this episode is that of Crimson Brethren, but they are in a new band called Floodlands. Their new album, Sea of Sarin, is dropping this week on their band camp page. We have the links posted on OchoDuroParleyHour.com. If you go under the music section and find Floodlands, it is right there. You can download all the music when it comes out this weekend, and we are going to be closing the show with a song, Lead Astray. That is their single that they're kicking off with, going into the big show next Friday night, September 27th, Galaxy Brewing Company in Binghamton, New York. If you are able to attend, you definitely should. All the information we have posted on social media, but it's going to be Floodlands, it's going to be Shout at the Robots, it's going to be Brian, and it's going to be Hearst playing. Kicking okay. off con season because the next day we're going to RoberCon. Yep. September 28th, 29th. We are doing the MCU panel that you need to be in attendance for. Nothing against the other one going on, but we are going in there with Johnny Moose. Coach Duffy from the sports show is coming in for this one. Mm -hmm. And to get him to join a panel talking comics, you know it's got to be a big one. I mean, listen, the
1: Giants threw in and they're starting Daniel Jones. So that must have been the the determining factor.
0: Yeah, he's all fired up. So he'll definitely come in and somebody says that Daniel Jones should be in the MCU. If you show up in a
1: Daniel Jones jersey, he'll get fired up.
0: Oh, he'll get fired up. Please, somebody
1: show up in a Daniel Jones jersey just for my humor.
0: Yes, that could happen. Bright Signal is going to be on the panel as well. So we're definitely going to be talking everything MCU on that panel right after us. uh, 11 o'clock in the morning on Saturday at noon is 8122 Productions Presents. It's going to be Rich, Ron, and hashtag Big Nattie Cool, Derek Diesel himself, along with Mike C from HorrorZone607 on a live mic. Uh-oh. Anything is possible. Uh-huh. I'm telling you this. If you are at Robocon and you are not at that panel in the Carousel Theater between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. on Saturday, you are missing out Yeah. on a show, folks. We are going to be bringing it, they're bringing it, it's all a hashtag 607 podcast takeover that weekend at Robercon. Sunday, we're doing the podcast workshop to Rich from 3 Fat Nerds, Mike C. from Horizon 607 and myself are going to be teaching you everything you need to know about podcasts that we can teach, and then Bri and myself are crashing the DC Universe panel that is happening 2 o'clock, so we're going to be talking all CW, all Crisis on Infinite Earths, what we think is going to happen. It's going to be a real fun time, so if you can get down there, RoberCon.org for more information. And then the following week, Pad, where are we going? Con, down in New York. NYCC, we are going to be down there. Pad, myself, guy, our street team, of John, John, and Breon are going to be down there representing the ODPH. So if you're part of another podcast and you haven't hollered at us that you're going to be down there, make sure you're down there. We might have some buttons and some stuff to hand out to you. So definitely, if you're there, hit us up, pull up, say, hey, we'll definitely interact with you because we have going to have so much going on that weekend. A little bit. So much. So many panels. We're going to be talking about that in two episodes. You know we do that official New York City Comic Con panel program. It is going to be fun. It is going to be something. And once we get down to New York, all bets are off. More information. Hour.com.
1: Whoa, 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 hey, uh, Ken, your phone's going off there.
0: All right, this is live radio right here, folks. Yes. Live podcasting going on. Hey, it's Johnny Moose himself, actually, speak of the devil. Uh-oh. And he is saying, stay tuned for something exciting next week. Hmm. Hmm, so I'm not exactly sure what that is to entitle. No. But I would say this, if you're a fan of pro wrestling, ExciteWrestling.com For more information, stay tuned to that. Yeah. Or stay tuned to at Excite Wrestling on Twitter or their Facebook page because if he is saying that something is coming, then that means something is coming next week. Scott Steiner Part 2. Maybe this week. I'll have to make you wait. Ha, 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 ha. Darn it. Yeah, Moose would do that. Yeah, he would. So there is something coming in the works hopefully soon. Hopefully okay. something this weekend, I would imagine. So stay tuned. Like I said, ExciteWrestling.com for more information. Folks, that is how we do a live show here. Yeah. Like I say, live radio ain't got nothing on live podcasting. Nope. Phones are growing off. Messages are coming in. This is how we do here on the ODPH. Yep. Because that's all we got for this week. And I think we had a lot. Yeah. So for Padawan J. Thank you. Thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you as always for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time. Thank you.